You've tuned in to Geek Elite Radio. Good luck. My name is Oliver Queen. My name is Barry Allen. You're blind, but you see so much. Everything we've been doing, it all leads here. Suit up. Jim Gordon, GCPD. I hear good things about you, Counselor. Harvey Dent. Likewise, about you, Detective. You think you know me, but I've never been more than what each of you has created. <laughs> Just look at the flowers. We have a huge episode of Televised Heroics this week, because we added a new show. Dun, dun, dun! Folks, we added... Supergirl, because they added Supergirl, so <laughs> we were like, oh, if you're going to do it, then I guess we're going to do it. That's just more stuff to talk about. So, as you can tell, it's I'm here, Mitch, with uh, Televised Heroics, episode 8, I believe, and Daniel was with me as always. Say hello to the fine people listening. Hello, listeners. How you all doing? <laughs> <laughs> and our special guest this week is... Chris, hey everybody, how's it going? I'm returning back. from episode three, I believe. Yeah, after the uh, the uh, the Return of the Jedi, uh, I felt it's good to come back for uh, <laughs> whatever we're designating this one. <laughs> I think uh, I think the, the one of the main reasons uh, Franey is here is because he needed a little therapy after what happened in last week's Walking Dead. So he yes. needed to talk to somebody. He needed to get stuff off his chest. I, I think I'm the same way. I kind of need that. How, how do you feel, Daniel? I need it as well. And a dream. Okay. <laughs> Seriously, I after watching that episode, I was like, I, I just, I was like paralyzed watching the moment. It's like, okay, something's gonna happen here, something's gonna happen here, and then it's like, no, 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 real full closure. And I mean, I, that's the whole point of it. But yeah, afterwards, I remember I just like looked right over at you. And I was like, I have to be on this episode. I, I need to talk. <laughs> and that's we're gonna save the Walking Dead to the end, like we normally do. So. Please stick around, or if that's the show you want to listen to, skip to that. I put I put the the time code in the show notes, so you, and you can totally do that. Daniel, are you ready? Yes. Franey, are you ready? Let's do this. Let's get ready to talk about it. <laughs> I remember I remember when Doctor Phil actually opened his show with that too. <laughs> it was pretty wild. Uh, it didn't last too long. Uh, his mustache kept getting in the way, <laughs> as they do. <laughs> so first, first show up, Gotham. Okay, so the whole show has always been really cheeseball to me. And to be completely honest, that scene with we'll get to it, but with Nigma and with Kringle. <laughs> oh man, that was the. M- that that show actually gave me feels. That scene gave me feels. Oh, that scene was really good for for this episode. That that was incredible. Like the guy, like I've I've said from the beginning of season one, the guy who plays Nigma, my favorite he, so far. Best actor, great character. He he does bring a lot to Edward Nigma. Um, it's interesting because all the all the ways we've ever seen Edward Nigma, the animated series, Batman sixty six, the comics, you know Jim Carrey, he brings. He brings a, a neat thing to Edward Nigma, a redeeming quality, you know, because this is one of those moments where obviously Nigma's a sick man, and the sickness he's trying his best to hold it at bay, but he can't, and he's fighting that battle alone, and just to see what he does, and then the worst part is it's like you know like 
It's kind of like when your pet dog brings a dead bird into the house, and the dog is like, I brought you a gift! Yay! And then we start hitting the dog, and you throw it. And, like, from the dog's point of view, it's like, you're the monster, you know? So that oh, was yeah, just, exactly. That was a great scene on that episode. Daniel, what did you think of uh, the episode being very uh, Firefly and, and Selena-centric? Like, I mean, there was parts with, with, uh, Enig- with Nygma and his relationship, and then there's other parts with... Uh, you know, uh, Theo and Butch and the Penguin, but I think this episode is very Firefly, Selena-centric. What'd you think? That, um, it was really well acted from, you know, from Firefly's point of view and then from Freak, uh, from Selena. And that scene as well, uh, that was kind of heartbreaking too, was, uh, when Selena has a confrontation with, with, uh, Gordon. That also gave me feels, man. It's very true. That was, you know, we Gordon really, really wanted to take down. Uh, I forget what the girl's name was. Pike, the Firefly. Yeah, Firefly. He wanted to take down Firefly without getting without her getting hurt. And unfortunately, her brothers had just pushed her too far in the episode that she broke. So she was not going down without a fight. And on and when you're messing around with a with a flamethrower. Uh, <laughs> basically you're usually going to get burned and she got burned pretty bad to the point where uh Gordon himself thought she was dead. Yep. And what an interesting twist. Very interesting, you know, right? Like at the end now it's like, oh, you know, she can't be burned anymore. The costume melted to her. Right. That's quite an upgrade to the Firefly character. So yeah, exactly. Very yeah, that is quite the upgrade to the to her myth. What did you think about Indian Hill, the fr- the department that's uh, part of Wayne Enterprises, Daniel. That was a really great reveal. Great way to end the episode. A very good good way to end the episode. And then within the next couple days after that episode aired, they announced that B.D. Wong, the actor B.D. Wong, is going to be playing Hugo Strange, the doctor for Indian Hill. And also, isn't that going to be kind of a launch pad for Mr. Freeze? I, I don't know the actor, but I remember they casted an actor. They did. They, they cast did. a new actor. So uh, isn't it? Is he going to be part of this, I would, or is he just going to? I like, think he's just typical. part of uh, Gotham in general. Okay, it's because that's more of uh, the rise of the villains for this second season that we're seeing, and I think that's where Gotham has gone gone right this season. Instead of just having a bunch of uh, mockery or mocked up to look like uh, villains that we know, they are actually taking the villains that we were looking for in the first season. Yeah, I have to agree, and it's not. And this season seems like they're not doing the kind of cop out thing, where like, oh, you know, kind of like with the scarecrow with his dad, you know, kind of starting the fear toxin, and then you know, eventually his son Jonathan Crane becoming scarecrow. They kind of stepped away from that. Exactly. They're they're actually introducing the characters that we know and the names that we know, which is kind of a double-edged sword in my opinion, because that means when Bruce actually gets to be the age he needs to be to be Batman, which is 10 years down the lane, down the line, yeah, he's going to be 15 years down the line, all these villains are going to be in their 40s. Yeah, apparently know? Arkham's like an old folks home. You know? <laughs> 40s and 50s. It's going to be kind of crazy. So Take that, senior citizen. Pow. <laughs> Yeah, no, it is tough because it's like that. That's the one thing I had a problem with with Gotham when it first was like the idea was premised. Um, Smallville, you know, I was excited. Um, it was going to be you know Clark Kent, Superboy, but without the Superboy hokiness. 
And then I would watch the show, and it felt like it was like, oh, I'm mad at Clark Kent. And then that's the weak villain. That was. That yeah. was the, the That was the, the premise. Week. And so I was kind of worried when it's like, uh-oh, here comes Gotham. What's this going to be? And it's tough because I, I feel they set him too young. And mm. and I, and sometimes I feel like Jim Gordon and Bruce Wayne kind of get interchanged. Because one thing I was laughing at was when Gordon was talking in the episode, he had a couple of uh, Christian Bale moments, you know, like <laughs> he did. I'm an arrestor, you know. Like, <laughs> I, I know I'm exaggerating it, but he did have he you did know, change some, his voice. Yeah. It's more angry and it's, it's gravelier. Mm. Uh, I think uh, talking about Gordon, I think we have seen that it's strayed for his storyline in the second season, whereas in the first season we thought very much so that he was going to be about trying to solve the Wayne's murder. It almost seems like he has forgotten about that in the second <laughs> season. It's not as important. I can see that from uh, the TV making side that they don't want to be bogged down with just this one story when there's all this Batman stuff they can get out there. Um, what did you think about Captain Barnes reprimanding Gordon Daniel. I mean, he's he, and he reprimanded him for something so small as kind of roughing up a suspect instead of what we already know. He killed the guy. Yeah, you know. So <laughs> I feel like he kind of needed it. I think it's a wake up call to him. Like, you know, you're a cop. Don't be bad cop the whole time. You know. Yeah. So I mean, that's what you're seeing. That maybe this uh, Captain Barnes, played by Michael Chiklis, is gonna set. Gordon back on the straight and narrow, right? Yes. But, like, I think Gordon brings up a good point. And even the Gordon we know in the comic books knows that Gotham is a different type of animal. There are things that are in the in the gray, shades of gray. I mean, even letting a vigilante dressed like a giant bat operate <laughs> in your city is against the law, but he lets it happen because it's for the betterment of Gotham. Yes. Yeah, I mean, if if you look at um, some of Gordon's like first comic appearances, or Batman Year One, you know, Gordon's the the head figure on the the task force to bring down this Batman, and then slowly he starts coming around, realizing, oh wow, Batman's saving people. You know, maybe this guy is worthwhile. And then they finally realize that we're fighting towards the same thing. And so yeah, Gordon is like, okay, I'll bend some rules in order for this to happen, in order for it to be okay. And it is funny to see this Michael Chitless character to be like, hey. You know, you don't even make a suspect feel bad, you know. So it is kind of interesting to see how, you know, Gordon, who's crossed the ultimate line, and now he's he's got a captain above him who is totally like, nope, you know, you, you wash your hands every time you go to the bathroom, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think of the fact that this Indian Hill is a department of uh, Wayne Enterprises? Like, it's, it's basically... A uh, different type of Arkham, wouldn't you say, Daniel? It's it's not it's we already seen Arkham in the show, and they keep the criminals there. Now we're keeping criminals that we think are dead, which could very much be Fish Mooney, if you think about that. Oh wow, I didn't even think of wow. You kind of just blew my mind a little, <laughs> right? Because everybody assumes that Fish Mooney's dead. There's no no body's been found, but we know that they have criminals down there because that's where Firefly went. Yeah. Everybody assumes that she's dead, and now they're like, oh no, most of the people down here they think are dead. Fuck man. <laughs> so we and we also got into more of the the Theo Gallivan story and uh, a little bit more into uh, Silver Saint Cloud and how it's relating back to Bruce Wayne. Obviously, he's very smitten with her. He's ready to do whatever. And even Alpha brings it up when they're te he's teaching him to box. Your distractions are what's going to be the end of you, Master Bruce. <laughs> yep. 
we see that in, in the future with with Batman comic books. Batman, his distractions are usually what what stop him from doing his ultimate plans, right? Yes, <laughs> numerous times. And um, I mean, I did want to touch on this as well. Um, I mean, Theo obviously is trying to get on Bruce's good side, and he even brought it up uh, during dinner. Maybe not this episode, but last episode, he's like, you know. Kind of sucks that, you know, Gotham PD kind of just gave up on solving the, you know, the murder. Kind of just gave up. They kind of pushed it aside. You deserve something more. You deserve better. That's true. And and obviously, um, there's not we, – we, we see in the GCPD there's not enough manpower right now because of the maniacs. There's not enough uh, people wanting to open up closed – because technically this case is already closed. It was Poison Ivy's father that killed the Waynes, and everybody knows that. Yep. <laughs> There's a lot left that's going to be happening with this show. Uh, anything specifically you're excited to see coming up that you've heard about or, you know, want you know are interested in seeing? Because uh, this whole Butch being with Theo and Theo knowing that Butch was trying to get in and this whole Butch is probably going to be betraying Penguin, you know, that's, that's yeah. something that's about to happen. I've... I gotta say, I loved the hammer hand, but it was really cartoony. <laughs> it was very cartoony, which goes back to last week's episode when they were at the Walmart of, <laughs> of death, you know? It's, it's, I don't know why they decided to go cartoony with some of these aspects of this show. I, I don't know. I, I mean, maybe they're trying to give it like a comic book vibe. I, I honestly don't know. Yeah, you know, I it's it's it it was a strange choice. That's all I have to say. Yeah. Well, I feel like it, it plays on not the cartooniness, but it's just that's something like like you look at Dick Tracy, for example. Right. The villains were always outlandish faced people, and I feel that with with Gotham, the villains they, that's the thing is they have to have a gimmick, and I, I'm trying to I'm trying to rack my brain to think like what villain had like some kind of interchangeable hand thing because i'm like oh maybe he's going to turn out to be somebody later on that, that would be weird that you know i mean I, I i get what you're saying and they definitely to give a character a hammer hand like that it would be something that you would uh think that he would have to be someone later on but it doesn't quite uh lend to that because we already know his name we don't know a butch in the comic but books. but one thing to consider the firefly thing Firefly's always been two guys, and actually I was looking at it in the newly released New 52 annual. Like I was telling you, um, there was, like New 52, there's a bunch of change to the mythos, and um, we see there's a a female element to the whole um, Firefly element, but actually I'd I'd have to go back and double check the issue. I thought it was a female Firefly, but I don't think she was. I think she was still part of the inspiration for it right but i mean there's a case right there where it's like okay firefly is what three brothers and a sister and right you know, that's the mixture that made the female firefly so i mean they they don't necessarily have to take it so i mean who knows this guy could be maybe this could be like the early workings of say clayface i don't know maybe it could be something along that line fair know? enough so it's i just feel that they're doing that because i almost feel like they want to take advantage of oscorp when they had their sinister six like, here's the special lab, and you open up the door, and it's like, oh, my God, there's the Vulture, there's Doc Ock, and all these things. And that's what I kind of – that's what I reminisced when I saw, you know, the, this – this what was it? The Hill again, you know? Yeah. Indian Hill. Indian yeah. Hill. And, you know, then it being a subsidiary of Wayne Tech, and it's like – or Wayne Enterprise. It's like, oh, okay, cool. <laughs> Somebody's going to go with that idea. Let's see where it goes. All right. Uh, did you have something else you wanted to say, Daniel? I just want to say I'm actually really interested in the rest of uh, Butch's uh, character development, to be completely honest, because you saw him cracking 
um, when Theo's sister was kicking his ass. And, you know, right. you, you can tell that he's going to be rewired again. I, and, yeah, <laughs> I agree with you. He is going to retain the Penguin. Obviously, can't kill the Penguin. But I want to know where they're going to take this. I, I want to know what it was they did to Butch to reprogram him to that he'd have to listen to the or to the penguin. So I it, I think that yeah his character is one to watch. It's in, definitely interesting. Uh, however, though, I think we need to skip on because we got so many more <laughs> things to cover. So uh, kind of following the order of what came out when Supergirl is the next one. Uh, I know Daniel, you said you were not able to get to that episode this week. You should definitely give it a watch. It was interesting. Uh, Franey, you, you get you were able to give it a watch, right? Yes. Yeah, I um, I enjoyed it. I'm not a massive Supergirl fan, and part of my interest in the show is to see, okay, how are we gonna how are we gonna get around the big issue here? How can we say the Man of Steel's name, the uh, Metropolis Marvel? How can we talk about Kal El, but we can't say the S word? And they actually did say the S They said it once. Yep. In the whole episode, they say Superman once. Every other time, it's either referred to as the big man, yeah. the other guy, my best friend. Because it was so weird that they, they went out of their way not to say Superman so many times. Yeah. I, I don't know why. I, I, well, I figure, kind of, I think it's uh, studios. I imagine that's got to be the gotta be studio. You know, it's got to be something like that. It needs to be brought up that this is a show by Greg Berlanti. He's... Uh, the one that's in charge of uh, Arrow and Flash, and then also Andrew Kreisberg, who's also uh, the head writer over at Flash. So keep in mind with those how those two shows have been going so far. That's probably how Supergirl's have been going, and we've already seen that in the first episode with how many elements they've brought in from DC Comics. The head of the DEO in the show is uh, Hank Henshaw. Right? Hank that Henshaw. was mind-blowing. Hank, you, you know who Hank Henshaw is, right, Daniel? The, the cyborg Superman from Reign of Superman. The, I thought was inc- – I mean, how do you make that guy uh, when you know what's, what's eventually going to happen to him? Uh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, I, I was I was surprised. Um, as a Green Lantern fan, that name Means makes something. you see red. You yeah. Know? It's like, oh, my God. and. Um, yeah, I was, I was taken aback when I saw that, like the DEO, that was neat. You know, right. I, I feel Department like of extra, 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 ordin- oh gosh, extraterrestrial extra, something. Yeah. Something oh, like that. I, I, I used to remember it. It used yeah. to be a guy when I read com- DC comic books, there was a guy with a skull head that was in charge of it. Yeah. Well, and it's funny because DC, I feel like they're trying to find their shield. Yeah. You know, that, that's definitely. Hey, let's try this on one. Here. Let's do the movie version. Let's do the TV version. And that, that's neat, you know, because what a great shot in the arm for fans of those those clicks, you know, because DC's had it, but they've never really got to use it. And even Marvel, like they're they're finally tapping into Shield, so I thought that was a great neat little surprise to put in there. Um, the whole ship of villains, it's going to be interesting to see. Okay, what are we going to take from the comics? What are we going to use? What's going to be able to go? Yeah, let's talk about this. So the, it looks like what, and I had said this earlier in the episodes of Televised Rogues, Daniel. Mm-hmm. You remember when I said that it looked like the main villains of Supergirl is going to be these this prison um, ship that was also in the Phantom Zone with her that came along to Earth. So it's a lot of superpowered villains. Oh, do you remember that? Yeah. Yeah, which I I said came out of uh, Supergirl comic books recently. Like it was her father, I believe, though had a lot to do with the the prisoners. I know they've been playing like with the new Fifty Two. They've really done a lot more of because it's funny. Sometimes the L family they're real scientific. 
you and know. Sometimes they're real and artistic. Now, well, at least Kara's family is, right? Yeah, well, yeah, they'll play with that. You know, like sometimes it's Laura L, you know, Laura L, right. uh, Superman's mother. And but now they're they're really playing up with a lot of judge and jury, a lot of uh, the courtroom aspects of it, you know. And I know you could say, well, that also goes back to 1978 when Jor El was the, the 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 keeper of the Phantom Zone, and he's the discoverer of the Phantom Zone. But now and they've changed it to now Allura, yeah, who is, uh, hmm. Supergirl's mother was basically the judge and jailer of prisoners from. Uh, Krypton. Just, yeah, from whatever. So she put people in there, and for whatever reason, uh, when uh, Kara's ship was being uh, shot out from uh, Krypton right after Kal-El's ship, it, the blast kind of the the blast of the of Krypton exploding threw her off course, threw her into the Phantom Zone. Yeah, and she doesn't know why she or how she escaped the Phantom Zone, but when she did, she drug along the floating prison that all these criminals were in she was definitely a guide to lead them out of the way so we're talking about i believe she said 15 years after she got to earth 12 to 15 12 the number 12 is popping out but it could have been a 15 i think she was 12 when she left krypton that's okay that's probably it was like 15 years later uh so she as hiding okay so superman finds her because it's right (laughs) it's 24 years he's been on earth 24 years uh, and she's been in stasis, not gr- aging, while he's been on Earth. When he finds her, he takes her to a family that I guess at some point helped him, called the Danvers. Yeah. Which is a throwback to uh, Linda Danvers, the character that was Supergirl, that merged with the the Supergirl Matrix, that <laughs> was all weird '90s <laughs> DC comics. Well, Danvers has been, you know, one of one of the many aliases of Supergirl. It, exactly. What a great throwback! Yeah. yeah. So she, her name in the show is Kara uh, Danvers. Mm-hmm. She has a sister named Alex Danvers. She has a mother and a father, <laughs> the Danvers. And who are they played by? All right. What a great, what a great <laughs> former Supergirl and former Superman, Dean right. Kane Dean and Kane and oh, Helen Slater. Helen Slater. Helen yeah. Slater. That's right. Helen Slater. <laughs> Was uh, her mother, and that's you know that's such a nice little nod. And like I said, with Greg Berlanti, with these other shows, we saw John Wesley Ship play, play uh, uh, Grant Hen- Gustin's father, yeah. Henry Allen. We've seen um, uh, Mark Hamill come back as the the trickster. So he's playing good homage to the older shows and stuff like that, which I'm okay with. Well, and I like it too because it's kind of a neat thing. Like in in the comic book field, we have actor. And Hero, which are two uh, organization charities that give back to Golden and Silver Age artists and writers and current comic book writers and artists. And I think it's neat because it's like, here's Greg. He's kind of that. You know, he's like, hey, you know, John Wesley Ship, you were Barry Allen. Come on. Let me get you a paycheck. Let me help you out here. Make sure you're taken care of. And I think that's cool. I think that's really neat. And it's like, you know, there's no reason to ever be ashamed of your comic book history and TV and film, unless it's Batman Forever. But otherwise, <laughs> no, I can't. But, uh, but you, you know, it, we couldn't get to where we are today without those things. And I think that's exciting that they pay a little respect to it, you know? So, Daniel, the big reveal at the end of the episode, and I know you hadn't got to watch it yet, but we're going to spoil you a little bit. Um, the big reveal at the end of the episode is that Allura, uh, Supergirl's kryptonian mother had a twin sister that was also a general for the kryptonian army that was in the prison in uh the phantom zone so she is now 
basically uh, in charge of all these criminals that are on Earth, Kryptonian criminals, and they she has given them the go-ahead to kill Supergirl if they can because she knows that Supergirl is going to get in the way of her plans to take over Earth. Wow. <laughs> they even got the same actress. They had the same actress playing Allura's sister as play, that played Allura in the beginning of the episode that we saw. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, so real, real nice first opener, um, and definitely it, it's kind of cool. Like starting to get some female vibe out there. You it's know? it's true. Yeah, and they they have, did have some propaganda at the start. It has you know, a big, girl, it has a know? big, yeah, big monologue about uh, saying the word girl. The word girl is not diminutive. It's uh, empowering, or it can be empowering. Um, one of the things is that there's going to be obviously a different Kryptonian villain of the week. Uh, that's going to happen often. They're going to try and. Um, have different super-powered villains for her to go up against. I I have a fear of that. I think it might get a little too uh, uh, repetitive. Yeah. Because, I mean, and that's the thing about Superman and Supergirl. A lot of their villains, other than Lex Luthor, a lot of their villains lend to just the, the punch and punch. You don't have to do a lot of thinking. <laughs> do you, can, you, can either one of you even think of any Supergirl-centric villains? Wow, just a Supergirl villain herself? Right. Um... Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> Crickets. Can you, Daniel, can you think of any in the comic books that are that are specifically for Supergirl? Chirp, chirp, chirp. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, the only thing I, the only news that I've heard is that somewhere down the line, they they have they have already cast an actor, and I don't remember the actor's name. I should have pulled up the article, but they cast an actor to play uh, Toy Man in Supergirl. So they're going to have a Toy Man um, as a villain at some point, which is interesting because. The, the company that Supergirl works at, or Kara works at, is Cat Grant. And Cat right. Grant has a big tying to the Toy Man. Yes. I'm, um, I think they should go there. But she do, I don't think she has a, uh, yeah, a kid in the I know. Show. That's going to be the tough part. So but anybody I think who they doesn't should go know, there. Anybody who doesn't know, in the comic books, uh, the Toy Man killed Cat Grant's son. Infant son. Or no, no, no. Not he was like... You know, 12, 13. Really? Teenager. Was he? Yeah. Because he was at that age where... Toys were interesting. He, well, toys were interesting, but he was he was kind of a jerk kid. Uh, like, I remember the few issues before, you were kind of like, ah, oh, this kid's a jerk. And then all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, he's dead. I guess I kind of feel bad Okay, for well, <laughs> there we go. If if we find out in the next episode that Cat Grant has a, a preteen son, watch out. He might end up on the cutting room floor. <laughs> well, yeah, I think, I think that'd be a neat drama because it's like... You know how you're talking about like some of the, the elements that Supergirl's going to have. You know, it is. It's going to be tough. It becomes like the latest rock, rock'em, smash'em robots. Just a fist exactly. Fight. So I mean, this is where it's like, okay, let's let's have Brainiac. Let's have like a three issue series where it's it's a big mystery that she's got to unravel. The DEO's got to unravel with her. They can take a lot of things there. Um, Vandal Savage. He's been on my mind this last week. But I think Legends of Tomorrow is going to... The future Legend upcoming... Legends of Tomorrow is, yeah. They're going to use him as their big season villain. But, I mean, you've got some uh, some villains. And, I mean, like, Toy Man. Like, to me, I think it'd be neat where it's like, yeah, let's let's show Cat Grant's estranged son. He comes walking in, you know, and he's totally, you know, I got a drug addiction, Mom. I need, I need money. I need this, this, that. And she's kind of like, oh, I hate my kid. And then all of a sudden he's missing. And that can even bring out an element for Cat Grant. That could be good for Callista Flockhart to right. really show some acting skills there and, you know, drag this out and then, you know. Daniel, do end. you remember in uh, earlier episodes of Arrow, did they already have a Toy Man? I know they had Doll Man, and I know they had uh, Shrapnel, who 
ran a toy store, but have they had actual Toy Man? I don't think so. Okay, good. I'm trying to remember. So that still leaves up the the idea that these two, these three shows could cross over. Oh, that'd be cool. It'd be interesting. I think isn't there some like pictures out there because of the the creative team behind the scenes? Like, don't they have like a Grant Gustin Flash with Supergirl? I believe so. I yeah. believe they they're all in costume somewhere because they all shoot on the Warner Brothers slot or uh, up in up north too. Yeah. So, so now we got you know a Superman runoff, a Flash, a Green Lan- or Green Arrow, and have ourselves a little league. You know, <laughs> that's cool, man. So okay, Daniel. So you have you know what to look forward to when you watch this episode this week. And I want to hear some what you have to say about it next week, okay? Got it. Moving right along, because we don't got the time, The Flash. Such a good one. I, I personally think um, it's still winning me over over Arrow. I, I don't know why I dig The Flash a lot more <laughs> than, than Arrow. And this one was another intense episode. Only reason uh, I say that, there's a lot of feels going on in this episode as well. Um, and good God, there were (laughs) so many and from so many different directions. Yeah. With Iris and her mom. Oh, and then that heart to heart that Barry had with, with Joe. Holy shit. Pulled me everywhere. And then, (laughs) and then even Dr. Stein, like almost dying. Like I didn't, for such a, a side character that didn't really have much Victor Garber as an actor just brings it so much that I'm, I'm connected with professor stein it's crazy yeah you do care about him he did a great job in this episode of conveying his character yeah so that's okay that's what i want to get to in this episode does either one of you find it a little um too cheesy that there were so many other matches that would have worked for professor stein to to merge with like okay yeah they had they showed the two you had uh howard hewitt and Jefferson Jackson, and both of them were potential to be the next Firestorm with Professor Stein, but uh, Howard Hewitt ended up not being able to work well, <laughs> so that meant Jefferson Jackson would have. It, and I know, Daniel, when you were watching it, you texted me and you said that you were getting a very much a uh, Victor Stone cyborg vibe from Je- Jefferson Jackson. Yes. Nice. Yes. I think... I think that's exactly what they wanted you to think about when you were watching the episode. Obviously, they didn't go with Victor Stone, but they wanted you to have that same feel. I mean, it makes sense. I mean, um, in the comics, you know, he was a college kid, I think, uh, playing football, and then he got into the accident. Star Lab saves him, so I was like, holy shit, you know, we got the perfect setup. I thought, because they already introduced this character in last season of Jason Rush, who in the comic books is the second Firestorm. Why not just have him be able to merge with Professor Stein? I, I really would like to, if I had the opportunity, I would love to ask Andrew Kreisberg why they decided not to go with Jason Rush. Yeah, I'm really surprised because, I mean, in terms of the comic, the comic books and the marketing, you've already got a fan base there. It's why true. not just say, hey, guys, we're going to give you a treat. Here's your character on, on air. Because right now in the comics, um, I think we don't even have Martin Stein part of the Firestorm matrix right i think it's just actually ronnie and um jason jason, jason. it's just those two do they merge together yeah oh i thought because jason had went off to become De- death storm no um well the, so that was that was a while ago that was like blackest night so yeah so yeah they totally yeah they totally played it that they had those two and, and see what they did was they gave jason rush they gave him the um the martin stein 
persona. Now right, he, the one, he's he's the yeah, smart one. He tells Ronnie what he can use to make other elements and stuff. Yeah, they gave him that persona because after Blackest Night, when his girlfriend died, you know, he just like, okay, I'm going to take my studies serious. I'm going to take being a hero serious. And Ronnie Raymond, he's even like uber irresponsible now he's just like drink gasoline and smoke why not you know like he's just gone crazy like he's so it's ridiculous when you see him and and they put those two together and i'm just really surprised that it's like okay why aren't we why aren't you guys yeah using i actually am very surprised that in the show they haven't used the idea of of professor stein helping ronnie raymond to transmutate things like uh you know uh I don't know what else they do in the show. Yeah, they, like, here's turns, some water. Let's play with its molecules. Right, structure exactly. And all that. Um, Daniel, what did you think of uh, Mercury Labs coming back? Tina McGee was there, you know, <laughs> from the old Flash show. She makes an appearance in this episode because who is it that's stealing from her, her lab? Harrison Wells. <laughs> Harrison Wells. He, he told me last week, he said... Daniel told me Harrison Wells came into our universe, the one that we're watching. I said, no, I don't think so. I think that was his own universe where he's messing around with temporal portals again. And nope, Daniel was correct. It was uh, him bump, uh, entering our world. I, I can't get take all the credit, though, because you said, you know, this Harrison Wells could have good intentions. And then that's what we saw. Because yep. totally, my yeah. biggest – oh, my biggest uh, – like grin happened at the end of the episode when you saw King Shark. That thing looked so awesome, and he had the the flash by the head, and he was about to crush it. And then uh, P- Patty Pivot Spivot comes over and it starts shooting at him, and it's not doing anything yeah, he because he's King Shark. He's like, "What are these bullets? What is this? Why are you tickling me?" And what happens? Harrison Wells is the one that saves the day by shooting him with some tech that he developed. And I, I, I mean, obviously, he still could be a bad guy because the Harrison Wells we know, even though he was Ebert Thon, was helping the Flash every once in a while. But I still say this might be a good guy. It might not be Ebert Thon. Yeah, I have to agree with you on this one. And I love the whole Flash running up to him. He's like, "Who the hell are you?" Pulling the, the <laughs> hood off of him. It's like Harrison Wells. Holy shit! <laughs> you right. <laughs> I mean, how, how how do you deal with something like that? What you, uh, a guy that you respected becomes your biggest enemy, becomes the guy you find out uh, killed your mother, and then left you all of Star Labs, dies, and all of a sudden, there's his face again. Well, and then to top it off, he helps him with the father. You know, you were, you were telling yeah. me about that where he's like, okay, not only do you get in my labs, and I'm going to set your father free. And it's like, talk about like taking and giving and like... And not even just like, oh, I borrowed a dollar, here's $2 back. You know, it's like, no, I took your mother, but here's your father, and, you know, mind screw city. Yeah, Yeah, I got to see next week's episode. uh, Yeah, I'm excited uh, to see the next one. I just got to ask both of you guys, so since we saw King Shark, do you think there's a possibility of Aquaman making an appearance or a cameo of some sort in the near future? Uh, I, you know, I didn't even think about that, but I, I don't see why not. I mean, obviously it won't be um, the Aquaman from the movies that we're getting with uh, Jason Momoa, but a Aquaman could definitely happen. It'd be smart. I mean, like uh, with, with King Shark, I'm trying to like he is he is a Flash villain, right? You know, and I don't I don't know if he has any ties to Atlantis. 
but he's got, you know, the water base set and it'd be like, hey, you know, there's stuff going on there. Why not? You know, well, um, it, to me, it's like kind of going back to what you were saying, how you felt it was Victor Stone. I felt the same way. I was like, dude, this is going to be Victor Stone. This is great. Cyborg. And I was actually getting excited for the character, but it's it's not. So who knows? Maybe this could be the way the studio is like, hey, we want to start, you know, putting some thoughts in place for our upcoming movies and things like that. So it's like, yeah, maybe King Shark could be like, hey, let's people liked it. There was a big turn on. Let's let's play let's play in the water for a little bit here. Let's do also, something. Also, though, you know, necessarily we might not we it might not get Aquaman, but we have other Aquaman characters that could show up. Sure, we can yeah. get Tempest. You can think of it like Aqualad. Uh, Mira could show up. Dolphin could show up. Who, who knows what what character we might get from uh, the Aquaman stories to show up in this? Which then only creates the fact that an Atlantis exists in this world, which is kind of cool. True. Yeah, I say the more the merrier. <laughs> you know, the, the more characters you can give me. And I mean, I know that that that, that hypersaturation can be bad. But it's one of those things, like, I, I think we can all relate when we were younger watching Batman the Animated Series. And Superman showed up. Yeah, and, like, <laughs> you see them and you're up. like, that was a cool episode. <laughs> so it's like, hey, this is going to be awesome. Let's let's see more, you know, because, I don't know, it's, it's exciting when a character comes up. Because we could talk more about that with, with the episode of S.H.I.E.L.D. Because I thought that was neat. Very. But it's, it, it, it's cool. Like, it, it's great when you see this, you know. And plus, it, it just makes the universe bigger, you know. That's it does. What's, that's what's awesome about it. So the other big thing that that showed up in this episode was, and Daniel already t- hit on it earlier, was uh, Iris's mother. Iris's mother finally talks to Iris. Iris says, "Yeah, I'll have this meeting," and uh, she shoots her down in that in the first meeting. She's like, "Look, I don't want you part of my life. You obviously didn't want to be a part of my life earlier on. So let's just go our separate ways." And what is it that she tells uh, Joe right after that to be like, "I I want to be in Iris's life." She tells Joe. That she's dying. And if anybody else caught it, I caught it. She says she's dying from McGregor's disease, which only showed up in Batman and Robin the movie, <laughs> where uh, the Mr. Freeze's wife, Nora Freeze, is uh, dying from McGregor's disease. And that was what he was working on in his, his laboratory when uh, he became Mr. Freeze. So I thought it was a cool little catch. But what did you think about her... Obviously, using this disease to manipulate Joe into talking to Iris again. That's just horrible parenting, man. That's not the way to get it. <laughs> no, no, totally. She shouldn't have. She shouldn't manipulate it that way. Do you want to come over for Christmas? No, cancer. <laughs> I have cancer. Um, Fine. Obviously, and then what was the other big reveal, Daniel? What was what was that she was? What was it that Iris called her out on? You're still lying. You haven't changed, and I know you have a. Br- I have a brother. A brother. Oh. What are we? Th- what are we talking about here now? Originally, what is Wally West? Wally West is Iris's nephew. Yes. So, what are we talking about here? Are we talking oh. about a change to the story? Definitely. This is a change. <laughs> this is a change to the mythos. This is a big change. This to the is mythos. a change. Like, I, it's funny. Okay, I'm going to go comic book on you guys for a moment here, okay? Um, 1994 was a big year. That was, I remember as a young kid walking into the local Walgreens and, and hitting up the comic book rack, and I saw Green Lantern issue 48, Emerald Twilight Part 1. Ooh. And this was like, right? Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> yes. This was the descent. <laughs> and it took 10 years, 10 freaking years. Saw Parallax, saw him go bad, saw him go good, die. Saw him come back through time travel, saw him leave. 
became the the specter, the spirit of vengeance, and then finally rebirth. And you know, not only did we just like it wasn't just the rebirth of Hal; it really was the rebirth of Green Lantern because you had all of it. Kyle was there, Guy was there, John was there, and it was such great respect. It was beautiful. You know, we went from like three thousand six hundred Green Lanterns to seventy two hundred, and then some. It was. <laughs> fantastic it was like man this 10-year ride was great this was odysseus of comic books this was the journey and for flash it was interesting because as a kid i remember watching the first flash show and i used to love it because to me it looked like it came straight out of batman returns you know like they both had these molded costumes the the darkness (laughs) the the music i mean it was it was fun yeah i mean because that's all you had back then that's true and so you'd watch it and i remember Going to Circle K and like, oh my god, there's an issue with the Flash, and I bought it and I read. It. I'm like, why the hell's he Wally West? He's supposed to be Barry Allen. The show says he's Barry Allen. Why the hell's he Wally West? You know what is this? And then finally, I was like, oh okay, there's there's flashes. There's more than one. And you know, again, like I I, I latched on to Barry Allen because of the TV show, and then you know, eventually researching comics and discovering more. It's like, oh, wow, he died a a heroic death. He was a great character. But I had love for both Barry and Wally. Green Lantern, on the other hand, I I had so much love for Hal and the way it got done. I almost didn't like Kyle. I I started liking Kyle because of the JLA comic book because there they wrote him way better. His own creator would always be like, hey, guys, here's my creation. He sucks. He's not Hal Jordan. You know, and you're just kind of like, man, actually, I kind of feel bad for the guy under your under your right. But Grant Morrison. Grant Morrison, JLA, yeah. He, he, knew. Did, he gave Kyle something. He gave him love. Well, he gave I, him hope. He gave him love, but then he also took out the, the fact that, like, hey, uh, we know you're not Hal. And you know you're not Hal. So don't try and be Hal. It's okay. Be yourself. Yeah, be you. And, and I thought that was cool. And, and so anyways... I, I guess now it, it's funny because I remember reading an article and it was it was a discussion probably with like Dan Didio and Jim, Jim Lee or Jeff Johns. And they were talking about it and it was basically kind of like, why are we going back to Barry Allen and Hal Jordan? And they, they brought up an interesting idea and they said, well, look, tell me the uh, tell me the origin of Kyle Rayner without mentioning Hal Jordan. And that's a tough question. Okay, well, Wally's been around a good while. I mean, Barry made his appearance in 1956. I think Wally was like 59, you know, something like that. So he's been around a good chunk of time. Tell me the origin of Wally West without featuring Barry Allen. And you can't. You can't. And it's like, wow. And, you know, with the whole new 52, because, and even then when they did Flash Rebirth, Jeff Johns and Ethan Van Scriver came up with this awesome costume for Wally. It looked like it was straight out of the JLA cartoon. You know, it had the lower cheeks, the white eyes, the shinier crimson or red. It was cool. And we got to see that for all three comics. And then, bam, the universe changed. And now Wally is he's a troubled black youth. And, you know, it's like, oh, man, you really, you're, you're, you're taking him somewhere. That's, that's hard for the Wally fans. And, you know, now the show's going to be like, okay, well, you know, Iris has a brother, Wally, and it's like the character of Wally West. I, I guess I can't say the character, but his mythos, his origins, they're gone. And it's going to be interesting. And I mean, I do feel for the actor who's going to take on the part of Wally West because that's going to be tough. I mean, we are seeing some new stuff come into comics and movies and TV with, you know, look at Johnny Storm. He was played by the Apollo actor. What's his name? Um, um, Michael B. Jordan. Michael B. Jordan. He did a great job. I enjoyed his Johnny Storm. I just didn't enjoy that universe, that, that presentation, that movie. <laughs> yeah. You know, but I enjoyed him. He did a good job. And I'm not 100% against 
that, but I mean, there is something where it's like, like, yes, I know Shakespeare, a lot of people can play Othello, you know, men, women, black, white, Asian, Hispanic, all that. But it, it, it's it's tough when we see that with these characters still because they've always been portrayed a certain way. And so when you see that, you know, I mean, it's like, well, let's make Daredevil death. You know, it's like, wait a sec, huh? Yeah. You know, but why couldn't a deaf person play the character? You know, it's not we're we're not seeing his deafness. We're seeing his blindness. So it brings it up. And it's interesting because it's like, OK, well, if they had the whole Wally West story, but it was played by a black actor that might have been received a lot better instead of changing the character's core history. So I don't know, but it's opening up a door. I'm excited to see because I've got Jay Garrick. I've got Barry Allen. And it's like, okay, we do. Hey, Wally, Wally might be down the road here. This is going to be exciting. <laughs> well, let's, let's also take in mind that they never actually did say Wally in the whole episode. In that whole conversation between Iris and her True. mother, they never say. Obviously, we're we're reading into it and we're inferring Wally because that's true. What, I, I, you got something. That's what they want us to think. So but, maybe her brother and he has a son. And well, that's Wally. Maybe they could keep it. Hey, you never know, man. <laughs> you never know. We, we, we've you seen never know. teenage pregnancy. <laughs> These people age. I mean, who knows? They could place in the crazy. What if he winds up aging fast like Bart? That'd be crazy. And what if that's going to be Wally's thing? Because, uh, God, if we're, it, it, like I said, try explaining Wally without Barry. We'll try explaining Bart. Without, yeah. Well, don't just try explaining Bart. Yeah. That's tough. Like, oh, he's a that's... kid from the future. He hyper-aged. He's back in the past. And <laughs> he's got really big feet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> so, Daniel, uh, a Wally West possibly coming to um, the Flash TV show uh, as Franey here explained the the Wally West kind of uh, origin story. What do you think? Do you think that he's going to be able to uh, stay as a recurring character? Probably not. I don't think so. Yeah, you know, I mean, having more than one uh, speedster in the show would probably not be the best idea. It's kind of like how an arrow, everybody seems to be shooting arrows everywhere. <laughs> they have villains and heroes and everybody uses a bow and arrow and it's kind of... Kind of weird and confusing, but <laughs> well, okay. But what if this is where the launching of a character that goes to Legends of Tomorrow? It, they that's could. What, what if that's where thinking. they get their speeds for? Yeah. So you know. there you go. That's that's definitely a possibility. Uh, uh, Wally West could show up on, on Legends of Tomorrow. You're welcome, WB Network. <laughs> <laughs> I like I said, I was I was super stoked about King Shark. I'm super stoked about Harrison Wells. I think it's all going to be going uh, pretty big from for the next month. Yeah. Um, I just gotta say, uh, the monologue, um, that Barry Allen gave at the end of the episode, that got to me too. That was <laughs> a good one. Right. Yeah, the one that he tells to, uh, Caitlin? Yes. Right. Which was kind of what J- Joe was telling him about moving on and not having to try and just fall in love with one person kind of thing. Yep. One thing I'm worried about, secrets. There's a lot of secrets there. Joe's telling Patty, you know, watch out for Barry, stay away. Joe's talking to the mom behind Iris's back. Iris is doing her own investigative reporting. Barry's hiding this and that. That's going to be interesting, you know. I mean, that could be, uh, you know, right now, it, to me as a new viewer, I'm watching this stove and there's four pots. One of them's going to overboil here. <laughs> this is true. And there's I'm, a lot I'm of balls excited. <laughs> I'm excited to see, okay, what's going to happen with that? So secrets, I'm, I'm starting to watch who's talking to who and what they're saying and who, more importantly, who they're telling whom to not talk to, you know? Right. So, okay, I, I think that's what we needed to say about Flash. Uh, moving right along onto Arrow, not as big as an episode as Flash was. 
I think Daniel hit the hit the head the nail on the head earlier. Uh, definitely enjoying Flash more than Arrow right now. How did you feel about this episode, Daniel? Paul Blackthorne, Officer Lance, he deserves a he deserves a fucking award. His performance was phenomenal this episode. Okay, well, I will give you that. This episode did um, feature the Lances very heavily, uh, and and Quentin Lance, Doctor or Detective Lance. Paul Blackthorne pulled out the works to to show the father side of of Detective Lance and how much his family means to him, how much his daughters mean to him. Uh, yeah, the actor did some great stuff this episode. Um, <laughs> one thing I laughed at the, the heart condition, how it was like, "Hey guys, watch out! I got a heart condition!" All of a sudden, he's yelling so much that the big vein on his forehead was like, "Ah!" <laughs> like you just went from a heart condition to an aneurysm, buddy. <laughs> what did you think? What did you think about uh, how Sarah was portrayed in this episode, Daniel? She's really. I mean, just animalistic and not, you know, herself. That uh, that was a good job. I mean, I would imagine that's how everybody coming out of Lazarus Pit um, would be. And in Hush, um, crap, I forgot who says it, but uh, in Hush they said uh, Jason Todd, when he came out of the, the Lazarus Pit, he wa- he wasn't the same for a while. He was a wild animal. And you know what? I would say that yeah. it's the thing. The thing about it was that Sarah was dead for so long before going into the, the Lazarus Pit. That'll be interesting to see what that does. So, and I think that turns that that kind of ties back to the Jason Todd thing. He was dead for so long before he went into the Lazarus Pit. Well, but the insanity can always be played differently because I've seen some where like Ra's al Ghul, like he wasn't necessarily dead. Okay, like the animated series, for example. You know, he wasn't dead, but he was so darn close. They dipped him in there and he'd get out. And one of the first things he did is he would reach for like Talia's neck and try to like strangle her. Right. But, but no, no, but I see where you guys are going and I'm excited about that. Cause it's like, okay, well, wait a minute. Here's a character who's like dead and cold, but <laughs> we're throwing it in the pit. What's that going to do? And you know, but I'm, I'm curious to see, I almost feel like these love relationships, there's something there. I mean, like Jason, you know, like the great thing about Jason Todd is, he was never avenged the way he would have avenged. Right, so that's where yeah. his burn comes from. Uh, Ra's al Ghul loves his daughter. He protects her so much. That's where his burn comes from. Well, with, with Lance here being dead and the way she died and what she died for and who's left and who's there, yeah, like how crazy is that going to be? Is that what's driving her? Because, you know, there's that one part where she's playing sad and all of a sudden she puts her sister in a chokehold. Yep. Yeah. You know, and it's like, all right, this this is going to be interesting. What is that going to do? How does that make her feel? How does that make her burn? She's definitely, yeah. So uh, I think the, obviously the Lances were a big part of the show. Yes. The other part of the show was Ollie is doing her his mayor thing. He's 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 going full head with this. He's He's got uh, the, the mayoral run going he even took over jason blood's old uh office yeah right <laughs> which thankfully enough came with its with its own layer underneath it that's <laughs> that's how i shop for offices i don't know about you guys with its own bat cave. is there a secret lair <laughs> i need a bat cave you don't understand how important that is <laughs> now daniel we touched on this in earlier episodes uh especially last week all the little glitches that are going on with felicity's phone and her uh computer setups obviously it's it's gonna be who the adam ray palmer <laughs> that's right yes yes everybody is ray palmer's dead he, you know he's he's gone you need to move on with your life we know for a fact that he's not well we yeah we, we pretty much know for a fact that he's not <laughs> yeah 
You could say it's maybe like a legend of tomorrow. <laughs> of tomorrow. <laughs> what do you think he's trying to do? Is he trying to, is he trying to get her attention? Is he trying to help her out? I think he's trying to get her attention. He's probably trapped somewhere in there and doesn't know how to get out. I, I feel the same way. I'm like, he's probably like, oh, here's the secret message. I don't want to listen to him die. <laughs> and no, the secret message is like, I need you to push control out, delete, and reboot the system so I can get the hell out of here. <laughs> and she's being all selfish, you know? <laughs> I mean, yes, the episode at the end ended with her, like, listening, listening and crying. Yeah. You know, but I'm just like, I don't know. Like, I mean, w- w- put yourself in that moment. A significant other is dead to you and then all of a sudden here comes this voicemail what are you gonna do not play it would you never listen to it no i'd listen it's gonna hurt but i i mean maybe that's just me and my impulsiveness i I can probably see it is that she not only is that that her at one time boyfriend gray palmer died but he died when she left with ollie her new boyfriend so to her listening to it is a little bit more guilt there's a little bit more guilt to there because she kind of went and had the relationship with Ollie when she was still supposed to be having a relationship with Ray. Yep. <laughs> Dang, I did not know that. Okay. <laughs> no, no, now but, I understand. Now in that case, Ray needs to be sending messages elsewhere. <laughs> well, I mean, she Ray was okay with it. He knew. He knew that she, from the beginning that she always had feelings for Ollie, so it was it was he was competing against that. Well, I get that, but I mean, now it's like, okay, fine. You, you damaged my heart, but I'm still living. <laughs> <laughs> I need you to pull me out of the Phantom Zone or wherever I've been sent to the so, microverse. <laughs> I think with the the fact that we have this. Curtis Holt, Mr. Terrific. Uh, we are definitely going to see what's going to happen with uh, Ray Palmer's character coming up here in the next month. Yep. Uh, since it is sweeps, and we do need him back before Legends of Tomorrow starts in January. I don't know if you happen to get to see the what's coming up for next week's episode, which was kind of a big deal for me because I was a big fan of the Constantine show. But John Constantine is coming back, and I can't wait to see what he does with Sarah. I know. It's going to be a really great episode. I'm excited. And I think um, this is what I told one of my coworkers who watches the show. Um, I think what they're trying to do, the network is probably trying to, you know, give Constantine another chance. And, you know, they might pick it up or at least for a web series or a Netflix original. I think that's why they're trying to make him relevant again. Make him relevant. You know, put him – if they – if they could pull a Marvel and make him a web ser- uh, 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 streaming show on, on original Netflix original, oh my god, that show would be that much better. Because it got pretty dark on NBC already. If they didn't have the, the standards and practices to worry about for Netflix, oh my god, <laughs> that show would be amazing. Oh, that would be nuts. Because Constantine, he is, he deals with... Hell, that's why they can't even publish him in DC Comics. They're like, here you go, Vertigo. You don't have to play by the Comic Code Authority. You can do, you know, the weird stuff that you see in the mystical dark arts. Right. So we need Netflix to help us see that. That would be incredible. But talking about this episode still, I don't want to jump to next week's episode. That's next week's problem. We're talking about this episode, there was an, uh, a Star City ECU basic SWAT team that was trained to take on vigilantes. They had weapons and gear and training to take out the Arrow and the other vigilantes running around Star City. What did you think about that? How come they never, you know, use them? That's my question. Well, then the little bit of dialogue they gave is that the the program got shot down just as fast as it started up, in which I can I, I'll give them that. But the oh, training that they had, they took out that team, a team that included Diggle. Yeah. Almost 
almost like at the snap of a finger, they took they took that team down quick. They did. <laughs> they kicked some ass. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah, they did. Well, they, they they had a better drive. I mean, look what they were gonna gain. It's true. You know what's your what's your paycheck gonna give you? And look what they're risking, and look what they're gaining. Right. So I just I, I see that those characters when they come back, they're gonna be a force to be reckoned with. I, I want to know if they're going to use these characters for something. Cause I felt so. When they showed that shot of the lead officer behind bars, she was in a cell. There's something that's going to happen. Yeah. Like, right? Okay, she, she's boiling over, so we're going to see something come back I don't later. know her name, the, the actress's name, but I do know she was uh, one of the main stars on True Blood. Okay. So that's uh, most people would know her from. Um, so it, she, I mean, maybe not to me or to you guys, she wasn't a big catch, but I think she ended up, she is kind of a big catch because True Blood went on for so long oh, and it yeah. was a very popular show. Well, she's an established actress. So it's, exactly. Yeah, you don't just take actress. regular people for no, you know, you get somebody big for a reason. So it's, yeah. We're, so we yeah, I, I can't base. wait to find out if maybe that team will be something later on. It, you know, if Ollie does win. Uh, a the the mayor race he has a little uh, black ops team that he can use for whatever reason. <laughs> well, how great when they get exposed at how successful they can be, and then you know Ollie through pressure has to finally say, "All right, we have to capture Green Arrow." How great's that moment going to be? That's when crazy. you have to tell people to hunt you down. Air now, quotes. if you remember in the time in the comic books when he d- did run for mayor and he won. Didn't the public already know that he was Green Arrow too? I don't think they knew, but I think they knew. Okay. I mean, you can't hide a goatee like that. <laughs> uh, you can't, you know, like uh, we, we we were talking about that the voice. You know, he's got his voice his modulator. modulator, and that's smart. And especially, I mean, granted, yes, comics of the seventies and eighties, you didn't have to think about stuff like that yeah, because technology just yeah. leaps and bounds within a decade. So, I mean, that wasn't necessarily a worry. But it's like, okay, you know, with what we're dealing with today. Um, so, I mean, he, he was very much free with his identities. I don't think he had to worry about it. And, and I just think people, like, the way Green Arrow's presented is, he's such a man of the people that the people, hey, we don't care that he's got to do nasty stuff because he's doing it for us. He's throwing the punch that I want to throw, but I can't because I'm angry or I'm afraid of going to jail. So I don't think he ever cared about the identity and the people didn't really care. And uh, Daniel, what did you think? Uh, Franny just brought up the fact that he used his voice modulator for the first time in a very long <laughs> time. We haven't, we hadn't heard Ollie use that voice in a while. About damn time. <laughs> right. It was. I thought it was kind of you know different. I was like, I can't believe he brought, brought it out. Maybe it's because of this whole mayor running for mayor thing, and he knows Ollie Queen's voice is going to be heard a lot more by a lot more people. He needs to make Arrow, Green Arrow's voice sound different. I need to learn to start calling him Green Arrow again because <laughs> they made that distinction in the show, which I, is so awesome. Well, and it, it's wild, too, because even the hood, the hood's up more. Yes. Right. So even it's like he, he, is totally, he is totally hiding and separating Green Arrow from Ollie Quinn. And what did you think of the flashbacks, Daniel? It wasn't much in this story, this this episode of flashback, but I think the big uh, reveal or the big uh, turning point was that the, the the bad guy found the computer that Ollie used. Yep. Now they know the jig is up. Now they know that you know he's he's going to betray him. Yeah, that he's there not to help them or not to uh, cooperate. He's there to take him down or whatever whatever Mo- Waller wants him to do. Yep. 
So, obviously more confrontation coming in the past, more confrontation coming in the future. Uh, can't wait for John Constantine next <laughs> week. <laughs> uh, next is Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So, once again, Daniel... <laughs> Uh, you're going to have to sit back, relax, and listen to the cool stylings of DJ Mitch and Frank. <laughs> <laughs> big episode in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. this week. Very big. We got to see what happened to Agent Simmons uh, while she was on this other planet. It's a huge thing uh, about her character. She spent lots of hours there uh, hoping, or trying to find a way home. I have to say... That was a great episode. As a comic book snob, I never got into Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. I never got into that stuff. I liked Nick Fury. I didn't care for the S.H.I.E.L.D. group. Um, I've never really even cared for the show. And watching last night's episode, or not last night's episode. To me, it was last night because I watched this. But watching that episode, wow. What a great episode. I mean, like, I'm caring more about her character. I want to know more. Like, it sucked me in. And it was like... Yeah, just what what an epic journey she went through, you know, and then they're marking it off by the hours and and just to see how her feelings go from, you know, she's she's totally all about her her best friend. And now here she is with the stranger. And then at night, you know, she's like, oh, good night to one and then good night to the other. It was like, wow. Right. Wow. Oh, my God. Crazy. Right. I mean, you know, the character of Will, like, okay, what's his what's his deal? Okay, I want to talk about this character. Uh, you and I watched this episode together, and we got a very fantastic four feel right? from him. Because even though his name is not Ben Grimm, he is this test pilot that was chosen to go on this four-man mission to another planet that is yep. uh, sponsored by NASA. And he had three scientists with him. It's very Ben Grimm in the Fantastic Four, yeah. Johnny Storm, Reed Richards, Sue Storm. Uh, unfortunately, the three scientists that came with him ended up going crazy and either killing themselves or killing another person. Well, He's even he had to, to do survive. a final solution, too. Right, and he even had yeah. a final solution for himself. He said he, he was holding one bullet for the day that he knew that he wasn't going to be able to do anything else. Yeah, I thought, I thought that was a great analog to Ben Grimm. You it know, was. He, he, he very much embodied a lot of the... Well, he embodied, he embodied a lot of good qualities. Will... Is a character that I hope gets to stay around and is developed more. I definitely um, think because the the episode before this one, she's like she was very adamant about wanting to go back, and uh, we this is the episode to show us why she wants to go back. Obviously, after spending six months on that planet with him, she grew to have some feelings for him. Oh yeah, they, it felt like a lifetime. I mean, they did a good job of really it, their relationship developed, and it felt good. It felt natural. It didn't feel forced. No. Uh, I can't think for... What was her um, her best friend, her boyfriend? Her, Fitz. Name? Agent Fitz. Fitz uh, he's another scientist. Yeah. He, uh, obviously, he has great feelings for her. And the episode where she came back, she was very grateful that he saved her. He was the one that saved her. He never gave up throughout the six months to uh, search for her. And uh, they went on a date. And, like, she, she's still trying to get acclimated back to being in the real life. Obviously, she had... The, the worst conditions on this other planet, but she was, she's now trying to get back into her life, but she wants to go back to find Will. All I know is it's going to be a weird triangle. Yeah. But what a deep triangle. I mean, like very deep. You put yourself in any of their shoes Daniel, uh, from the, the guy's point of view. It's like, uh, it, it hurts, you know, cause it it's like hurt. for Will it's, you know, it's like, okay, we're going to watch this sunrise together. 
And then all of a sudden, here come these red flares, and the first words out of her mouth are Fritz. Yeah. You know, it's like, wow, you total bitch. It's also then, a sunrise that only comes once a yeah, a once year every. It wasn't like eighteen. Either. I could have sworn it was eighteen. I don't know. She didn't. Because time was different. There. It was different, and, and and he had been there fourteen years. Yeah, and then so. then to, then to top it off, you've got you know Fritz who's doing everything he can to find her. He's he's traveling dimensions, and then he finds her, and then she's like, I want him back, and she's crying. I mean, it's like. <laughs> Damn, this is a woman you love, and when you love somebody, you want to see them happy as possible. And you know, both these guys are just going to be like—I mean, this is this is how this is what they should do. This is how we make Captain Marvel. You know, Will <laughs> turns out because he's been there so long, he's got Kree powers. So when he comes to Earth, he's fading away, and he's going to merge with Fritz, and and that's where we'll have the Rick They're Jones gonna- <laughs> Captain Marvel, and, and she could just be happy. But it's going to be weird as hell for those two dudes. <laughs> Which also I thought was very good at the end of the episode for uh, Fritz character moment uh, when she tells him the, she's finished telling him the whole story, and he's basically just starts closing up his books or opening yeah, he storms up other books. Out, you know, he, he kind of storms, storms off. You think that he's angry, but what in actuality he's doing, he's like, here's the maps. Here's, here's all the information back, I've yeah. gathered so far. Let's go find Will. Because it's like, yeah, this is my competition, but he's a dude stuck on another planet. Yeah. We need to save him. Yeah. Like, uh, talk about being able to just throw, you know, he, that's why he's an agent of S.H.I.E.L.D. Right, exactly. That's why he is a good he's, guy. It's he's like a good guy. Most other dudes would be like, oh, darn, <laughs> yeah, bad. we found you through luck. Well, you know, it's very easy for the show to have gone the way of, oh, I'm going to keep all this research secret because I don't want her to have him back. And eventually she'll find it and be like, Fritz, I can't believe you kind of thing. Yep. But that's not what they went did here. And that's what I think the these later seasons of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. have been doing uh, very much better. Daniel, what I was trying to tell you earlier is that I don't know if you got to see the Martian yet the movie The Martian no but uh, the episode here had a lot of aspects of that where she's trying to science her way out of uh, this very grim situation uh, it, you said you haven't seen it you should definitely go out and watch it it's a very good movie yes I can't rec- recommend it more to anybody else but um, I can't wait to buy that when it comes out I am that movie was fantastic it's so great so I just thought that was funny that they ended up having a lot of the same elements of her trying to figure science her way out of it. Uh, that's our Agents of Shield two minutes. Uh, like I said, so uh, we will get to more of that next week. I think it will. I think some big things are going to be happening for that show as well. Yeah, and I mean for the listeners who aren't, you know, say you're not an Agents of Shield fan. I I was in that boat after watching this episode. I want to tune in next week. I want to see what's going to happen. It 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 was great. It it really it got me. I mean, talking about the feels. <laughs> that episode was covered in it. It was beautiful. All right, Daniel, are you ready? Yes. Because it's time. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it is time. It's time to talk about The Walking Dead. I think we need to open with a moment of silence because if the worst happened and Talking Dead did not give us in our memorandum, we need to do it. So, gentlemen. Please hold. I know this is podcast and this is where we listen. And I apologize, viewers, but I think if you're a diehard fan like we are, you can respect this moment. So here we go. All right, we're back. <laughs> All right, that that was a that was a moment of silence for for Glenn, a character that we have grown to love and respect since the first season. You know, yep. he's he is probably the character that's grown the most, of uh, become the. The biggest contribution to the group, uh, definitely. Even though he has every reason to be bitter in this post-apocalyptic world, 
every reason to to not want to have help other people he does he's always there to help to give the helping hand even to a man that tried to kill him oh god he tried to kill him he he took him back in and said look i will show you the way to live oh man yeah what a hell of a character man glenn is it's funny i remember um I remember reading the comics, and it's. I had a thought at one point. I was like, you know, the zombie apocalypse is actually kind of a good thing for Glenn. And I think he even said that. You know, it's like, I no longer have credit card debt. I don't have to worry about those things. I was just a pizza delivery guy. Now now look what I'm doing. And now it's I got like, Maggie. Yeah, 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 Maggie, right? What a great consolation prize. Um, yeah, you know, but it's like, wow, a hell of a dude. I, oh, all right, you guys got to throw this out there. I got to. Daniel, what do you think about the way that they're telling the story this season? It's. We've seen basically uh, the same moment in time from three different perspectives so far. Yep. And uh, that's actually one of the articles that I read is uh, Greg Nicotero said that it, this whole season, or at least maybe half the season, is taking place in that day. So it's really interesting to see it from a different, you know, different angle from, you know, from everybody that was doing the run and then what was happening, you know, in Alexandria. So it's an interesting take. But even though it's still taking in the same time frame, it seems like it's later in the day in some scenes. I don't know. That's just me. I, well, I do think it's pretty incredible because we are seeing like uh, the effects of what happened in last week's episode making things happen in this week's episode. Like uh, one of the big ones, Morgan. Morgan lets a wolf get away and on his way out the door, he picks up a gun. This episode we just watched that we're talking about now, that same wolf uses the gun to try and attack Rick, and it's the it's the gun that damages the RV to the point where Rick can't start the start it back up. So I mean that Morgan is almost directly uh, affected uh, Rick's ability to get away from zombies right now. Oh yeah, yeah, that could losing that RV obviously jeopardizes the hell out of this. You know, zombie tidal wave. Right. It, and, and Rick was the one that was supposed to be getting the RV to, to get the herd away from Alexandria. So, once again, that means zombies are going to be heading towards Alexandria if, they, if he can't fight, figure out a way to uh, direct them back to the rest of the herd. I got to say, though, I love that scene with, uh, when they're trying to, you know, basically kill Rick. I love the way that he kind of gave no fucks and just killed the wolves on the side of the RV. That was brutal. And that was awesome. Yeah, <laughs> he did. He did an incredible job. I mean, that's just that's experience right there. That's a man who knows what was going to happen and how to deal with it. And we've said many times, you know, Rick, he knows how to be the leader. He knows what needs to be done in this in this post apocalyptic world now. Um, so it was very much so a cheer when he shot through the side of the, the RV to kill those guys. What else did we see in this episode? We saw a, we saw a bunch of characters that we never really had to deal with before also die. We had the the gentleman that had uh, the the note that he wanted Michonne to give to his wife. We saw the girl that was uh, uh, had a limp in her leg for whatever I or for, I think she hurt herself. She fell off something, but those characters died. <coughs> Uh, I think it was a very good point that I heard brought up was the the guy who said he met his wife after the zombie apocalypse. They fell in love. They they grew up or they didn't grow up, but they grew closer together in Alexandria. Uh, it was very much mirroring 
Glenn and Maggie yeah. parallels their story so much. And when we see him die, we're like, we, we don't we don't put two and two together. But fuck, that's Glenn dying. And then what happens? We say Glenn possibly dying. Uh, I think, I mean, obviously I'm still sitting here saying possibly. It very much so could be that he's dead. I still want to say that the other guy, uh, what was his name? Nick. Nick. Nick fell on top of on on top of Glenn, and that's whose guts we were seeing being pulled out. That's what I feel, too. However Glenn could get out of that situation, I have no idea. If they decide to make him get out of that situation that way, I hope I hope they do it well. Well, for me, for I think we, we've talked about this, and I and uh, potential spoilers. So the way um, Glenn dies in the comic, right? That was issue one hundred of The Walking Dead. So for those of you that are curious, go out there and read it. Um, get a box of tissues because <laughs> it's gonna it's it's harsh. I almost quit reading The Walking Dead. It was such a, uh, it was just such a painful comic to read. Um, but so, anyways, I feel that those people that. You know, I don't want to say names. I, you know, want to keep it in the dark for people. But I feel like those people, mm-hmm. they're probably what's going to rescue Glenn. Oh, so uh, I think okay. we're going to get. I think we're going to get an emotional rip on our heart. Oh you know, man, it's like, Glenn lives, and then then we get them reunited just to see what's going to happen. Dude, uh, if, they, if they kill him, if they kill him twice on me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna. I'm going to vomit. <laughs> uh, get your bucket ready. Get your bucket ready. Because that's probably going to be somewhere around the mid-season finale or, you know, the season ender or opener for next season because they did get renewed. Yes. Daniel, what did you think about um, Heath having to talk to Michonne the way he did? Because he overheard what uh, Rick said to Michonne about leave behind who you need to leave behind. Stay alive is the most important thing. I just got to say, basically, that opening scene did set the tone for the episode and rick was right man you know not everyone's gonna survive and and i really liked and also i gotta say i think this week has just been a feels train man all these shows have done so many feels <laughs> it's true <laughs> it is the holidays <laughs> it is the holidays that's where that's where they're gonna get you it's it's uh coming up on november which is sweeps time for television if those still if those numbers still mean things to people and for advertisers they still do, they need to set up the field so that they have even more impact in November when people are, wa- are supposed to be watching. Yep. Uh, so you're right. What what Rick said was very important. It it is does hold true. But what Michonne says to him, he says says to Heath like, uh, what exactly did you hear? You don't know. You don't know me. You don't know what I'm gonna do. What Rick said is what Rick said. It doesn't have really have much to do what I I'm gonna do. I was gonna say that was a really big character development for her part, just showing like I'm not like him. My methods are different. I'm gonna try to make sure that we all get out of this alive. I'm gonna fight for you guys. Right. Exactly. And you know what? I I did bring this up too at that point. Why have has Michonne not brought in her? Uh, camouflage idea since that we saw the, when we first saw it, met her. You know why is why isn't that come up again? Huh. Yeah, it is interesting that her Walker puppets are gone. You know, it was a great tactical thing, and even in the comics, it's never resurfaced. Really? We, yeah, the comics that idea has never come back. Um, there will be a variation that I would love to see make it from the comic book to the TV show. Those that are reading the comic book, you know what I'm talking about. Um, but even then, like the the, the poncho, the zombie poncho. That barely made a return. 
Wow. And so it's like, wow, these are some good ideas. I mean, yes, it is gross. It's like, hey, Daniel, we need milk. Can you put on your zombie poncho and go down to the store? You're going to be like, screw your milk, dude. <laughs> you know how much it is to get that smell off me? You know, so it's like I get why people weren't exactly volunteering to go do it. But, I mean, if, if it's part of your survival, it's kind of necessary. Piggyback on that, I think that maybe if Nick is on top of Glenn, uh, you know, he'll be masked in that sense and might be able to walk away. Maybe. That's what I was I was saying, too. Um, That's what I feel. I agree with you on that. I agree because that. there were a lot of callbacks to the first season between Glenn and, and Rick in this episode. Especially the big, uh, hey, dumbass, keep keep yourself safe, which is a callback to when mm-hmm. Glenn first, first talked to yeah. Rick on the radio calling him a dumbass. We remember from the first season, Glenn and Rick cover themselves in zombie blood and guts to get through a, a herd and that masked their smell well and it's even funny thinking about that right now a thought just occurred to me what was rick's problem he was surrounded by a whole zombie herd too he was and That's so the, the two of them are kind of in the same do situation. we do we have walkie-talkie communication still uh glenn still got his right yeah. he should still have his, and rick's actually. got his so, you maybe know, who knows? maybe this is the, the dumpster is going to be a, a miniature version of a tank. You know? <laughs> <laughs> He's going to crawl his way in there and, hey, there's a grenade in this garbage can. Fantastic. No. Oh, look at that. That's quite lucky. <laughs> so talking of speaking of Rick, uh, we had another big monologue with his character. It was uh, basically to turn Daryl's character back to his job. Daryl had obviously given some pushback to Rick saying, I need to come help you. I need to be there. And Rick saying, no, you need to do the job that you need to do because it's going to help us in the long run. You're getting all these zombies away from where we're living. Uh, and at some point, Daryl decides, no, I'm I'm not listening to Rick. I'm going to take off and I head towards Alexandria to help out whoever I need to help out. But Rick gets back on the radio gives this powerful monologue of if you leave, if you don't doing the job that you were assigned, you're doing it for yourself. You're not doing it for the greater good. You're not doing it for everybody. You're being selfish. And I was like, he's right. <laughs> but damn, damn, man, there are people that need Daryl right now. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a tough call, but it's like, Hey, bigger picture, bigger, bigger picture. picture. And that's, that's, I think, uh, other than his children, Rick is usually able to keep the bigger picture. Yeah. Rick Tatorship. <laughs> Rick Tatorship. Uh, but, but I will say this. I I don't know. It's I, I look at where Rick is, and I look at what goes on sometimes, and I feel bad because I feel like they really make him like he's this guy who just – he doesn't have his head on right, but we still follow him for some strange reason, <laughs> you know? it's I, I don't know. Maybe is it just me in that regard? But sometimes I look at it, it's like, wow, Rick doesn't really have a regard for life. Um, but he but he's gonna, good. You know, but That's he does, why. yeah. You know, so it's like, okay, well, we'll let him think he's the leader, and in reality, we're just kind of like, all right, put Rick in the front and just follow. <laughs> he's a good zombie killing deflector shield, you know. But I, mean, <laughs> I look at it and it's like, no, Rick, Rick. I, mean, I don't know. I guess maybe in the comic he's more human. I don't know. It's it's just on the TV show. Like I look at the TV Rick and I'm like. The guy can't fight worth a damn. You know, every time he's right. in a fist fight, he's practically getting the crap kicked out of him. <laughs> and then he comes off as like, you know, like somebody sneezes. He's like, what are you doing sneezing? You're going to call out the zombies. I ought to kill you. <laughs> Rick Tatorship. You know, <laughs> it's like, no, Rick is better than that. Like Rick, even though he snapped and he had that moment where he killed those guys because he knew what they were going to do to Carl. That moment is supposed to show that it's like, I will do what's necessary to do what it takes but I'm not going to stay there. 
Right. I'll go there and I'll do it, but I will come back. And that's why I'm not a wolf. That's why I'm not a zombie. That's why I'm alive. And I really don't feel we've had that. I don't know. I guess maybe maybe I've missed it, but I just I don't feel we've had that where it's like, okay, Rick is Rick is the leader for a reason, you know, not just because he's played by Andrew Lincoln. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Last thing I want to talk about for The Walking Dead. Um, and speaking of the comic book, in the comic book, uh, Rick is obviously missing a very big part of his his body. He's missing his hand, correct? Yes. Yes. And in last week's episode, before this one. We see the the hand get cut by a knife that's in a zombie. Do we think, and I, I didn't think about this when it happened, but do we think that's going to lead to uh, that part of his body getting super infected to the point where he needs to cut it off? No. I, I think they want us to feel it. I think they want it to go. I don't think it will. Uh, just because the logistics behind it, it would be a pain. Right. You'd have to green screen wise, it and yeah. all this and that. And I don't think they're going to take a cue from Gotham and put a nice giant mallet on there. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, no merling it up. But it is something to like. I, I think it's excitement to build on it because the truth of the matter is the comics and the show are different. Nothing holds. You know, one is kind of a sort of roadmap. So it, it's like, well, it could happen. But I don't think it will. But I think it's one of those things where it's like, okay, let's like last week's episode generated a lot of buzz. There's a lot to talk about. There's a lot to worry about. And that's what you want from The Walking Dead. You want to worry. Daniel, what do you think? I personally think that he will lose that arm. But wow. But it's going to go. Somebody else is going to do it. And Frank, Ah, like how he how he cut off Herschel's leg. Yeah, Franey, you know where I'm going with this since you read the comics. I think I know. I think I know who's going to do it if it happens, especially if, if Ooh, Glenn okay. is dead. Okay. Oh wow! All right. Well, there you go, listeners. Something to ponder. Something <laughs> we just to had a private conversation. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, I think uh, we are good for this week. We got in everything. Still went over the hour mark, but uh, very good conversation had here. Uh, well, go ahead and give your Twitter name right now. Daniel Von Helvet. <laughs> At Daniel Von Helvet on Twitter. Franey, your Twitter. At Stuff I Should, S-H-U-D, should say on Twitter. There you go. And I'm at Agent underscore of the underscore bat on Twitter. You can get hold of any of us on the Geekly Radio Facebook page. We are always there. We love to answer your questions. Uh, GeeklyRadio.com. Join the forum. At Geekly Radio on Twitter. So... Until next time, geek out. We now return you to your regularly scheduled program.